0: You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Great. If you have a Bible, I would love it if you could turn to the book of Mark. I used to be a school teacher, story writing was what we did. Once upon a time is often the way kids start a story, is it not? Maybe you've heard the line, it was a dark and stormy night and suddenly you get drawn in. Or what about just the other day? There's so often different ways of starting stories. I'm not sure if this is going to work actually. Um, It was the best of times, it was the worst of times, it was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. Anybody tell me which story that is. Tale of Two Cities, absolutely fantastic. This one, it is a truth, universally acknowledged. I haven't even finished the sentence. (laughs) Pride and Prejudice. It's amazing, isn't it? We have these stories and we can almost read this and suddenly think, wow. I believe that the Gospel of Mark is a story that we're going to get so much out of. And we're looking at how the story begins this morning. I'm going to read the first 15 verses. It says this, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, He saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this story, as we're going to spend some weeks now in this, the story, I pray that we'll hear from you. I thank you that we can come to the one who is the author and say, oh, please, would you just bring us some illumination, some understanding of what you meant in these words. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be looking at the book of Mark. This is the first gospel. If you don't know anything about the Bible, there are four accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I know that Mark is the second one in your Bible, but actually it was the first one that was written. I would say that this is the London Gospel. The London Gospel. Why would I say that? Because it is fast-paced. It is active. I don't know if you realize this, but I've, I've just read the beginning of the book and there was no Christmas. Yeah, we've just celebrated, haven't we, about angels and shepherds and kings and mangers, but he doesn't include that at all. Somebody said, reading the Gospel of Mark, it's a bit like you know, being asleep in bed and somebody's slapping you around the face and throwing water on you. You say, get up, you're late. And you come rushing out of bed and you go straight into the day. Mark has got this instant excitement, fast pace about his Gospel. What he covers in the first 13 verses that I've just read to you today, Matthew takes 76 verses to cover and Luke takes 182. Luke takes 10 times as much space. Mark, one of his favorite words, there's only 16 chapters to this book, but one of his favorite words is immediately. It's used over 40 times in 16 chapters. Immediately, immediately, now, instantly, come on, let's move. And so I want us as a church to almost buckle in for this ride. Who knows what it's going to be like? If you're into personality profiling, I'm going to suggest that Mark was an ESTJ he was an extrovert he was it was all out there now was that mark or was it peter you see mark got lots of his material from peter the disciple and we find that flavor flowing through in this story but before i get sidetracked let's jump straight in my first point today is that it is his story You see, the danger is that as soon as I read something like this, I think, what's this saying to me? I suddenly think, oh, am I to be baptised? Am I to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Have I got to go into the desert to meet with God? Now, what we don't always realise is there are so many pictures and images hidden in here that the early readers would have understood. I was in the car this week, driving up to Watford, and uh, we had four kids in the car with me because we were going off to Laser Quest. And as soon as a tune starts on the radio, they all start singing along. And I think, how on earth do you know it? But it's almost like, just give them the first four bars, and they're there. They're rapping away. If I was to show you some of these icons, I'm sure as soon as the first one comes up, you'd be able to shout out, I know what that's all about. What is it? Instagram. What's this one? Joseph, you're so last year. What's the next one? What's the next one? But there's no word that some of you are thinking, I don't get these at all. What on earth are they looking at? But most people would look at those and say, oh, I understand. I've seen that image. I know what's behind it. And so to understand this story, we almost need to spot what were some of the images in there. In the beginning is how it starts. In the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Well, actually, the first book of the Bible, Genesis, starts the same. In the beginning. So what they would have suddenly understood is, hey, this story is much, much bigger than I realized. It's not just right here, right now. Oh, in the beginning, for Jews, that would have been the Torah. He talks, he refers lots, actually, in this whole passage, just even about the Israelites coming out of slavery, coming through water. There's the whole thing of the wilderness, the desert, the baptism. Well, that was the people that were in slavery that then came through the Jordan, that then into the wilderness before. Oh, wow. This is the whole Torah is represented in this story. What does he say? He quotes Isaiah. Oh, who was Isaiah? Well, Isaiah was one of the major prophets in the Old Testament. He's got a book that we have 66 chapters, not just the size of it, but just the amount of things he said was considered a major prophet. Oh, and suddenly he's feeding into this story. But actually, we've all sat there and thought, God, Isaiah was quite a clever chap. They would have known that Isaiah was the bulk of the quote, but actually the quote starts from another guy. And actually, his name was Malachi. And Malachi was the last prophet, we would call him a minor prophet, that spoke 400 years before Jesus came. So already, at the beginning of this this story, we've got the Torah, we've got the prophets, the major, the minor prophets. When he talks about a kingdom established, he did have thought, oh, actually, the whole thing of the kingdom in the Old Testament as well. It's there, and it's massive, and it's for us. Suddenly, this story, whoa, you know, it's like Technicolor. It's like life on speed. You know, this is whoa, what on earth is going on here? The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You see, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Son of God, it wasn't like a dad and their boy. Son of God was... The, the description of the Messiah. And so actually, right at the beginning, it's, it's almost like, I don't know, the newsreader saying, you know, Arsenal 6, Man United nil." You know, they've given you the headline straight up, and then they go and describe what the game was like. And in many respects, that's what Mark has done right at the beginning of this story. What he has said is the game is this. In the beginning... The gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So what's this story all about? Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I am looking for a bit of participation this morning. So I would love you all to say this. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now you see, if you pick that up, when the story starts going, you would come back to that. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Because Mark has lots of questions, and that's his, his almost way. So in Mark 1, verse 27, the crowds have seen the power of Jesus demonstrated. The people were so amazed that they ask each other, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. And Mark said, what's the story all about? Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Oh, you know the answer to the question that's coming because that's how the story fits together. The teachers of the law in Mark 7 start getting critical about Jesus. Teachers of the law were those that were in authority, the religious folk. They even said things like this, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Mark told you right at the beginning, this book is about Jesus Christ. The Son of God. Oh, that's how the story is unfolding. The disciples, they've witnessed creation controlled. They're in a boat, in a storm. And Jesus gets up and says, be still. In Mark 4, they're terrified. The disciples, they're followers of Jesus. And they ask each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. But Mark told us at the beginning of the story, this is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. When the Jews heard his teaching in Mark 6, it says, The Sabbath came, he began, this is Jesus, to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? What's the wisdom that's been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles? Well Mark said, I told you that right at the beginning. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so as we begin this, I mean, I could go on and on. It says in Mark eleven, twenty eight, by what authority the chief priests and the teachers are opposing Jesus. By what authority are you doing this? Who gave you the authority? Mark would say, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so as we almost, even if I went right up to the crucifixion, and we remember, don't we, that there's this Gentile centurion that sort of says, wow, who was this? Where Mark says, well, I told you at the beginning, the whole story is this is about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so as we begin this story, it is all about him. It is all about Jesus. It is his story. That's why we're encouraging people to invite your friends along to the, the toy story with Gary Grant. Because what we want is his stories to invite others to come into a relationship with him. All of us were called because he came in grace. And and whether it be a friend, a family member, and, and told us about Jesus and his story. So we got caught up in it. And so the whole purpose of that evening is whether you've got a friend or not, you come along. Why? Because we want to catch other people up in his story. So firstly, I'd like to say the story begins and it's all about him. But I think the other thing is that actually the story is all about us. Why do I say that? Well, I think there's three situations that I'm going to pick out in these first few verses that actually it's, it's about a place, but it's actually about a people. So the first thing that we can pick up is that a lot of this happened in the wilderness. Now, wilderness, you tend to think of a place. I've even got a picture of one coming up and you suddenly think, oh golly, it's, it could feel barren and like that. But actually, in the Bible... There was a lot of connection with people, with the place. As I said, this is where God began with his people. After Egypt, he taken them out of slavery. They were gathered and formed as God's tribe in this place. In fact, in the prophet, the prophet Hosea, when God wanted to win his people's heart, what did he say? He said, actually, I'm going to take you to the desert. I'm going to allure you there so that I can speak tenderly to you. For the people in those days, they thought, you know what, if I can go to the desert, I will get away from the distractions of life. And so it wasn't necessarily so much as a place, as it was a a place where people encountered God. In fact, the Jews even taught that God would gather a people out in the desert that would then come and be his people to bring future victory. And so this whole story, when, when there's this sort of sense of desert, what they didn't suddenly think, which I think of, is, oh, it's sand. They would have thought, oh, the desert, that's God and his people. That's a picture of God and his people. I think that would be absolutely true as well of the River Jordan. Now, again, I've never been there. I found a picture on the internet, whether it really looks like that. The danger is that we think of the River Jordan as a place, as a geographical place. And you can think, oh, but actually the people would have understood the icon, the River Jordan. Oh, that was where God did so much. If you thought about the story of Abraham and Lot, Lot chose the plain of the Jordan, There's a sort of sense of, oh, there was an anticipation of the blessing of God. We know that Jacob crossed the plain of the Jordan to meet his brother Esau when there was going to be a restoring of brotherhood. We know that actually Joshua led the people across the Jordan into the promised land. We know that the prophets of Elisha and Elijah, their ministry was based around the Jordan. So actually, suddenly there's this icon that comes in the story that says, wow, this is where God does things with people. I guess my third and final image under our story would be the baptism of Jesus Christ. You see, it was a baptism of repentance, but Jesus had nothing to repent of. So why did he get baptised? Well, I think the Bible would say he got baptised because he was identifying with us just as Moses chose the people of God rather than the royalty and the privilege of Pharaoh's household. He says, I'm going to be identified with God's people. You get this picture that actually Jesus, it tells us in Corinthians, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, though he was rich, yet for your sakes became poor, so that he could identify with us. And so suddenly the the picture of the wilderness, the picture of the Jordan, and the picture of baptism was Wow, this is his story, but it's our story. I'm included in this. I'm included. This would have been quite a shocking thing. So many of us sit and think, oh yeah, that's quite interesting. You see, if you were a Jew, that was the people that were from the 12 tribes of Israel, if you were a Jew, you understood that Gentiles could need to be baptized because the only way to convert to become a Gentile to be a Jew was you had to get circumcised. I'm not going to focus on that this morning. You had to make a sacrifice and you had to get baptized. But actually, the baptism here was a sense of everybody. Jews are getting baptized as well because in this, it's almost like everybody comes. It's all people. It's not there's a segregation. You do, you don't. Everybody comes. That's what John's baptism was about. Your heritage is not enough, but you can come through baptism. I, I, I love the fact that I don't have to do this story on my own. I love the fact I don't have to come to church. It's my privilege to come to church. I mean, I think, golly, this boy band this morning, isn't it great? How well they serve us and lead us today. I think I don't have to come. It's my privilege to come, isn't it? On the 28th of January, we'll be celebrating what God has done in five years. We launched the church in last Sunday, January 2013. So we'll be coming and we're just saying, God, what a privilege that we've had this story together. I encourage you, make sure you're around on the 28th. Make sure to bring family, friends. We just want to be a week of giving thanks to God. We get to do this together. Some of you know that we've started a vision fund together as a church. Two weeks before Christmas, with very short notice, we ask you to give generously. Next Sunday afternoon, we're going to report on how that is all going. So if this is your church and you feel, oh, I'm a part of it, I encourage you, five o'clock Sunday afternoon, we're going to be giving a whole update on how that's going and what's happening. Because we're in this together. It's not like suddenly I'm, I'm on my own. It's not suddenly I just look from afar. I guess my third point, my final point this morning, it's his story, it's our story, it's also my story. You see, Matthew and Mark introduce the whole story of Jesus through genealogy and family. It's all to do with connections. John introduces the gospel through theology, if you read the Gospel of John. But Mark introduces the Gospel through a story. And as I've said, we believe this is connected with Peter. You see, when you read the story of Mark, you suddenly discover there's lots of facts and insights that would have been a first-hand account. Now, the way, even John the Baptist, we don't hear much of his message, but we hear what he wears and what he eats. That would have been a first-hand account. We know that when Jesus was calming the storm, actually, he was in a boat sleeping on a cushion. I mean, it's a detail of a first-hand account. We know that when he fed the 5,000, he made them to sit down on the green grass. It's like a first-hand account. We know that when the blind man is called by Jesus, he gets up and he throws his cloak to one side to come and follow Jesus. Why? Because as a first-hand account, he would have known that. And in fact, the book of Mark is very personal. It's really, I would say, us getting caught up on Peter and him getting involved in the story. And so actually, I think there's a personal application to all of us. And actually, there's this big story, there's our story, but there's your story. Will you get caught up on this personal story? If you go through the book of Mark, and and we are going to be reading the book of Mark. In fact, we've got some copies. If you haven't got a Gospel of Mark, there's some free ones on the table. Help yourself as you go. We're going to be doing this series on the story But what you will find is that actually there's this sense of Peter that gets caught up in this story with Jesus and we learn with him. The disciples, as I said, they're in this boat and they're rowing and it's halfway through the night and they're not getting anywhere and they see this ghost and they realize it's Jesus and he's walking on the water. What happens? The disciples are all sat there but Peter goes, If that's you, let me come. Jesus says, Come on then. And he jumps out and he walks because there's something about Peter wanting to get involved in the story. And that, I believe, is true for us. There's another time when the disciples are out fishing and they've not caught anything. And Jesus says, go on, stick your nets over there. And they discover, and and again, his eyes are opened. And we believe that they probably had to row, I don't know, 100 meters to get back to the beach. But not Peter. What did Peter do? He thought that's it, you know. He jumped out of the boat. He starts swimming. He's just so desperate to get into the story. It's something personal for him. We know, don't we, that even when the story is that the tomb is empty, Peter runs, doesn't he? John stops at the tomb, but Peter runs in because he's so eager to get into the story, to find out, really? Where are the grave clothes? What's happened to my Lord? That's Peter. He's so keen to be a part of that story. What about you? Is this story your story? I was looking up this week, some of you I'm sure will be well aware of it, that famous people now want to get in on films and they become extras just because they're so keen to be a part of the story. If you watch the film, King Arthur, David Beckham, was actually one of the soldiers. Apparently, and some of you now tell me after oh, that's not true, it's just a rumour. Prince William and Prince Harry were stormtroopers on the latest Star Wars film. <laughs> Apparently you can tell because they're both over six foot and every other stormtrooper is only five foot eleven. Must be true, I read it in the Daily Mail this week. They want to be involved in the story. It's funny because I think we live life and there's always this story. I told you, um, Riley lives with us, Riley's a Chelsea fan, so yesterday, Riley and I went and did a tour of Stamford Bridge, that's the home of Chelsea football, they wanted to tell us everything, there was a museum, you could look at the cups, weren't many to look at, to be totally honest, but you know, you could explore and just look all around about the history of Chelsea, and what's happened, and what time, and oh, they've done this, and they've done that, and you go in the changing rooms, and all this kind of stuff, And then, you know, the guy doing the tour says, who here's a Chelsea fan? And i folded my arms. He says, what about you? And I said, I'm a gooner. I support Arsenal. I thought, that's your story. It's not mine. Some of us do that with God. In the start of 2018, and we're going to look at Mark. There's this picture before us. Oh, wow, this is the big story. And there's a sense of, come on, as a church, will we be in it together? And then the question is, what about you? Are you going to sit there and say, this ain't my story? Or are you going to say, you know what, I'm in. Next week, I'm going to be doing part two. But because I like you, I'm just going to read the first verse to you right now. It goes on 16. It's not up here on here. Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon, his brother, and Andrew cast their net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. You see, there's a massive story. Jesus does not say this, how can I help you? Jesus says, follow me. I repeat that. Jesus doesn't say, How can I help you? Jesus says, Follow me. That's why we have a week of prayer. And that's why I encourage you. I'll be at the door handing every single one of you this. The whole thing of this is how do we follow him? The danger in our week of prayer is that we can say, Jesus, how can you help me? But when you look at the story in Mark, Jesus is not going, How can I help you? How can I help you? How can I He's actually saying to the guys, Come follow me prayer is our opportunity this week it should be the busiest week of your term unashamedly Pete it's just started I know but this is where we say do you know I'm going to throw other stuff aside I'm going to come and I'm going to listen to you what are you saying where's this journey going oh I'm on your adventure I thought you were on mine that's what the week of prayer says the week of prayer says where are you going and how can I get involved? Our danger is that we come to the story and say, right, I'm over here. Come on. What about the stories? His story is our story and it can be yours as well. I believe in this book we will see Jesus as the ultimate man of action. This story has pace and energy. I will finish with this quote often read up because I want to serve you well. This was a guy, a guy called Donis, Donald English. He was a Methodist, and he wrote this. The mission to the world is his. We are most fulfilled, not when we seek fulfillment, but when we seek to find our proper place in his never-ending purposes for the world. We are both less and more important than we think. He's basically saying that actually there's a mission, there's a story. God has got a big story. You're welcome to get caught up on his story. Now, in some respect, you're less important. It's not about you, it's all about him. But actually more important, because he'd love you to pray for someone to get healed at work. Will we be those that get caught up on this story I believe as we look at the the book of Mark we're going to have a great adventure I encourage you to come back for part 2 next week